Oh man, oh man, oh man. Here we are. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here at Anderson College. And man, I just want to welcome you to Grace. Uh, It's good. I'm glad that you are here. I'm also glad that I am here. Uh, I have not been here for quite some time. Uh, I have not been here for about a month uh, because uh, due to decisions that I made in the past, specifically about 10 months ago, I wound up with this guy. Uh, This is Liam Benjamin Smith. He's my pride and joy. Uh, Also, he has two older siblings that are around. Uh, And then uh, sometimes he's awake, sometimes he's asleep. Either way, he's just the best, and I love him. And you should too. All right, let's pray and get out of here. All right, but let's, uh, to quote my friend Timothy. Uh, But we, man, we are entering this season of the spring where it's not just spring, right? It's not like when I was looking at coming back, man, I I realized, I was like, man, it's not just like that we're in the spring, right? The spring semester itself is very focused on what's ahead, right? It's almost like you don't even focus on the spring in the spring. In the spring, you're looking at summer and you're looking at the fall. And you're constantly looking forward at what might be next. And yet what I realize is that not only is that true just for the spring in general, but man, this week, right, starting right now, we have about seven weeks of the semester left, about seven weeks until graduation for some of you. You're going to have to grow up, right? That's hard. And I realize that, man, we're in this time frame in this unique little window where, man, we are all looking ahead. We're looking ahead at what's next. And when we look ahead, what happens is we can be filled with either hope and excitement or we can find ourselves filled with fear and anxiety, sometimes with the exact, in the exact same moment, right? And what's beautiful, though, is that in Scripture, Jesus Christ, he looked at his followers and he told them, hey, you know what? The world around you worries about the future. You don't need to do that. So it's not going to help. It's not going to add a day to your life. He says, you don't need to worry like the rest of the world worries. Why? Because you have a father in heaven who loves you, who knows you, and who wants what's best for you. And so as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've trusted in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, then what's beautiful about that decision that you made is you've been adopted into the family of God. You're a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. And Jesus says that changes the way that you look ahead. So now when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we look ahead, what we also do is we look up. We look towards our Father and we seek His will so that He can provide understanding for us in the midst of uncertainty. And so over the next three weeks, what we're doing is we are looking at God's Word. We're looking at how He guides us in making decisions. We're looking at what are the, what's the wisdom that He's revealed that we can apply in our world to make better decisions that lead to fewer regrets. Right? And this is a complex topic that we're not going to be able to cover fully in the next 30 minutes. So I would encourage you, first and foremost, come back. Right, Come for the entirety of this series. Come learn from not just this 30, but the full 90 minutes, Right, the next 30 and the next 30, as we study God's Word together. But even beyond that, I would encourage you to dig deeper into this topic. If this is something that you really are, have questions about or are wrestling with, I, I cannot recommend enough. There's a book called The Four Wills of God by Emerson Egricks that I'll be referencing a little bit today. And that that is just a, I read it last semester and I loved it, inspired the series where he talks about understanding God's universal will, meaning his general will for all people everywhere, and then his unique will as we make those kind of day-to-day 
life-changing decisions. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But man, I would encourage you, don't just come back here, but spend time reading this if you're interested in it. Also, spend time reading God's Word about this topic. We will have a reading plan through the Version Bible app, uh, an eight-day plan that you can jump in with that, that walks you through God's Word, walks you through passages related to decision-making, related to the wisdom that God has given us, the direction that He's given our lives. And I would encourage you, when we launch that out, hopefully next week, uh, you can basically just learn more about this topic and be more prepared to make great decisions. Because in his word, God gives us all this direction because he knows that left to ourselves, right, left alone, we don't always actually know what the best next step is for our life. never heard from again. That was it. (laughs) We all have ice problems, right? We all have had moments where we walk out into our world. We walk into that decision. We make that choice. We start dating that person. We pick that major. We take that class, whatever it is. And all of a sudden we hit the ice patch and we just start sliding. And we say, this is my life now. Goodbye. Like that's, (laughs) that's just something that we run into. We all have struggles in making decisions because I think we have three big patches of ice that we run into. We have three main hurdles that I think we encounter in making great decisions. I think a lot of times we're held back by a loss of direction. Other times I think it's a lack of knowledge. And other times I think it's a fear of regret. Sometimes it's all of them just mashed into one horrible ball. Like that's just what we walk through. And so over the next three weeks, we're actually going to be essentially looking at these three issues and seeing how God addresses every single one of them in scripture, about how God meets us in our struggle and he moves us to our next step. And so over this series, we're studying three key principles from God's word that gives us direction in making decisions, right? To to make our best decision, we simply have to ask. We simply have to ask, meaning we align our lives with God's will. We seek out the wisdom of other people and we keep our open hands in every decision. Right, and we'll unpack every single one of these over the next three weeks. But this morning, specifically, what we're doing is we are looking at the letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the believers in Rome, in the book of Romans. And he tells them in Romans chapter 12 about how their loss of direction can be easily overcome if they simply live lives that are dedicated to the service of their God. In other words, if we feel lost, if we feel directionless, man, the the answer that we find in Scripture, the principle we see to apply, is that we overcome that loss with a life of dedication. How we look, how we can look to God's leading by aligning our lives with His revealed will. This is what I mean by that. If you look in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, uh, Paul is kind of moving into a new phase of this letter. He starts off saying, therefore... I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice. Right? And anytime you read this word, this key transitional phrase, therefore, right? I learned this in English class growing up. Thanks a lot, Mrs. Woods. Uh, I learned this in seminary. Thanks a lot, old guys. Uh, and I 
we'll tell you, every time you hit that, I cannot help but think of that silly little statement. What's the therefore, therefore? Oh, I don't know. Right? That's, and that's what you ask. And essentially, Paul is summarizing the first 11 chapters of this letter with that therefore. He's saying, based on everything I've already written, and I know a lot of us haven't just read recently the first 11 chapters of Romans, so let me just tell you. The main idea that he gets to is he says in the first 11 chapters, this is what God has done for you. This is what Jesus Christ has accomplished on your behalf. He saw that you were dead in your trespasses. He saw that you were all sinners. You were all broken. You were all in open rebellion against the God who made you and the God who loves you. And yet in the midst of that rebellion, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven and onto earth to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserved. And then when he rose again three days later, he proved, I have power over sin. I have power over death. I have a better way. I have a better life. And if you trust in me, you can be saved. If you trust in me, you don't have to be condemned. There's no condemnation for those that stand under Christ. For any single person who believes in him, man, suddenly that sin, that that sin that infects all of us, that sin that we've all committed, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, man, that, that sin, it's paid for. It's demolished. And suddenly we stand before the God of the universe, righteous, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That's the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so Paul's saying, in light of all these things, says, I'm encouraging you, I exhort you, literally saying, I'm begging you by the mercies of God. In other words, based on the mercy that God has shown you through Jesus Christ. Right? You deserved, you deserved punishment, you deserved death, and God has spared you. The greatest mercy you'll ever receive is found through trusting in Jesus Christ. He says, because of that mercy... This is what you need to do. How do you respond? You present yourself as a sacrifice. In other words, he says, man, if you want to respond appropriately to the God who sent his one and only son to die for your sins, he says, this is what you do. You dedicate your life to his direction. A lot of times we struggle, we ask this question as believers. I mean, what is God's will for my life? I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office with students just like you struggling with this question, asking me, what is God's will? Do I go to, you know, Houston or Dallas? Those are the only two cities in this world. Which do I choose, right? Do I marry this person? Do I not? Do, do, we, do we start dating? Do we not? Do I, do, I, do I choose this career path? Do I go this direction? Do I take that job? Do I apply for that internship? You know, what is God's will for my life? It's this question that it reverberates in Christian minds. And it's a good question, But it shouldn't be the first question. See, this is what I love about that book I recommend, The Four Wills of God by Emerson Egricks, is that he proposes, he says, you know, before we actually answer, ask that first question, before we can be able to answer that longer question, we need to start one step back by asking, well, what is God's will? In other words, not as what is is his unique will for me in this moment, red tie, blue tie, what what am I going to do? He says, instead... We need to be asking, what is God's revealed will for all people everywhere? What's his direction that he's just given in general that's, re- that's super clear, that's revealed through his word to all the world? And, and what we find is that, man, Scripture is full of these guiding passages. There's four key passages that actually explicitly say, this is the will of God, da-da-da-da-da. The first one that I think is so powerful, that's so important, it should be the very first uh, question that we answer, the first decision that we make, 
is what Jesus is proposing in John chapter 6. He's speaking to the crowd, and he says, This is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, You want to know what God wants for your life? For you to believe in me. He says, You want to know God's will? You want to know God's desire? Believe in who I am and in what I'm accomplishing on your behalf. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son to be that payment that we need for the mistakes that we've made. Jesus says, man, this is the will of God, that all of you would believe in who I am and what I've done so that you can be saved, so that you can be adopted out of sin and death, so you can be adopted into the family of the Lord, so that you can live a life that's eternal and glorious and blessed that extends beyond this world. He says, that's the will of God. That's what he wants for you. That's his heartbeat. He wants to be in relationship with you, not just now, but forever. That's incredible. That's the will of God. That's the first decision, the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I know that there's some of us here right now who are still struggling with this this issue, who are uncertain, who who don't know where we stand. We don't know what we believe. We've been talking about it. Maybe we've been thinking about it. Maybe Maybe we've had friends ask us about it, but we don't know. I mean, I would encourage you, you can just use the rest of this morning to just tune me out, it's easy, and wrestle with this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? What do you believe? Because your answer to that question, the decision you make, that choice, changes everything. That choice has to precede even any other question any other will, any other direction that we're about to unpack. Jesus says the very first will of God is that you would believe in who I am and what I've done. We also find in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is saying to a group of believers, this is the God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Paul is saying, look, there should be a, a holiness, a distinction. Holy is just to be set apart. He says you should be set apart from the world around you. There should be a schism, right? There should be a divide. And it's not malicious. It says it's not that you have this divide and you, you know, shoot darts over to the other side. It says, but there should be a distinction between you and the world around you. And one of the biggest ways that we create that distinction, that we look different, is through the way that we think about, use sexuality. So you should be different in that. You should pursue holiness in that area of your life. That's the will of God, that you would stand out. Peter writing to a group of believers, he says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says, this is the will of God, not that you would just believe and then be set apart and stay over in your little weird corner where you're like, hey, let's uh, listen to DC talk. And like, that's not the will of God. He says, the will of God is that you would then be active, so active, doing so much good, bringing so much improvement, bringing so much life, bringing so much joy, bringing so much love, that anyone who tries to criticize you, that anyone tries to talk you down, that anyone tries to, you know, like badmouth the church or believers, that they would just be silenced. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if our cultural narrative was so strong in favor of the work of the church that anyone bringing complaints would just look dumb? It's not where we're at. Maybe we can get there. It's the will of God. He says, I want you to be so dedicated to not just believing, to not just being holy, but to being righteous, to be pursuing what is good. 
He says, in all of it, this is the will of God, that you would give thanks in every circumstance. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That you would remember in every moment, in every circumstance, that man, God loves you. God made you. God wants to lead you. God sent Jesus Christ to prove that love. To show you the greatest love, the greatest mercy you'll ever receive. So Paul is bringing up this issue in Romans 12. Saying, look, if you want to be following after God's direction, what you need to do is you need to dedicate yourself daily. Right? You, you need to be making this conscious decision every single day. And as we choose to follow, and these aren't the only four commands in all of Scripture for believers, but they're, they're, they are four and they're good ones. And if we are consciously choosing, you know what, I'm going to choose to actually live these things out. I'm going to choose to actually follow this revealed command, this revealed will. If we're doing that, what happens is we build a muscle and we train ourselves so that in the future when we come to major decisions, it's easy to say yes to God's will. It's easy to say yes to God's way. It's easy to see God's direction because we're, we've built this daily, regular discipline in following what he wants. And that daily conditioning empowers us to make huge decisions down the road. Uh-oh. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. Ready? Boom. Indeed. This is a beautiful truth that our dedication now prepares us for decisions later. That if we're dedicated in the mundane day-to-day, that suddenly when we reach that major decision down the road, we're ready for it. If you decide, hey, I want to go run a marathon, you don't just like peel yourself off the couch after watching all of Parks and Rec in a weekend. I mean, that's a good thing to do. But you don't just stand up having never run a day in your life and be like, okay, what's 26.2 miles away? Okay, yeah, I'll go there, right? Like that's not how it works. You've got to start building a discipline. You've got to start training yourself, preparing yourself for that major obstacle in the future. God says, I want you to commit yourself. Paul says, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to submit yourself. You've got to make yourself a sacrifice. You've got to dedicate yourself to following after God in all these revealed things. And when you do that, it actually prepares you for those future major decisions. This is the will of God, that you would believe, that you would be holy, that you would be righteous, that you would be thankful. And Paul says this is all something that requires regular commitment, consistent, intentional decision-making. He says, I want you to present yourself, your bodies as a sacrifice, right? It's going to be alive. Oh my gosh, what is going on? Holy and pleasing to God. And this is your reasonable service. In other words, he's not saying this is reasonable because it makes sense. He's saying this is reasonable because... It's something that requires conscious effort, that requires intentional thought and deliberate action, right? It's a conscious choice that we make day to day to day. And here's the beauty. As we're committing ourselves to this path, as we're moving down this direction, it's not like something that's just, it just is the worst. 
right? Paul's not saying like, you know, because some of us, I, I'd say like run a marathon. Some of us are like, yeah. What, you mean like my third? Whatever. You know, whatever. you got that bumper sticker and ugh. But others of you are like, I would never, ever do that, ever. Bye. You know, like that's, and that's fair. Because some of us look at it, we're like, I would never want to do that. Paul's not bringing up this dedication. He does not want us to think, right? Scripture does not want us to think that, oh, following the commands of the Lord is the worst. Like you read through Scripture, I mean, you see over and over again, people saying, man, the, the law of the Lord, it's, it brings delight to my life. Right? I love, I love following your commands. It brings me so much life. And, and that's true. See, what's beautiful is that if you see this played out over the course of a life, that actually our greatest pleasure, our greatest satisfaction, our greatest fulfillment, it is found in pleasing our God. It really is. But this is hard for us to grasp sometimes because it's not true of every single moment. Right? Maybe you realize, you come to the realization, you feel the conviction through wise counsel, through the work of the Spirit. You're like, man, this relationship I'm in is toxic. And so the next day, you break up after six months, being together, bonding, all this stuff. You say, man, we're, we're, I got to end this. And it's hard. It's painful. And there's tears. And there's, and there's anguish. There's sorrow. Right? In that moment, the very next hour, right, when you drive home, it's not like you're going to get home and be like, that was awesome. Right? Like, you're not feeling great. You're not like asking your roommate, like, hey, can I see your engagement pictures again? I love being alone. Right? Like, this is, <laughs> this is not true of every single moment, but it is true of a life taken at its full. And it's absolutely true of our, of our existence, of our life beyond this world, that our greatest pleasure is actually found through pleasing our God. But see, it, it's, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to grasp this, not, not just because, right, there's moments uh, that we don't feel it, but it's hard for us to really accept this because those moments, they, they feel like they take precedent over the future, right? We, we hate delayed gratification. That's just universally true. I live with three small human beings at the ages of four, two, and zero, and none of them enjoy waiting for things that are good. None of them enjoy delayed gratification. None of them are just naturally patient. If they ask me for a snack, I'm said, I'll get you a snack. They're like, oh. and I said, in a few minutes, oh, and they just, they melt down, and they're so mad, and they're so upset. My baby boy, Liam, he's so great, but man, I tell you what, he's got a dirty diaper, and he's yelling out about it. I can't just walk over and be like, hey, buddy, I'm just, I'm feeding your sister right now. Like, it's the law. I still have to make sure that they are fed, right? But, and I will get to you in like 30 seconds. That, do, that does nothing for us. Like, we don't have that conversation where then he's like, oh, okay, dad. Yeah, just you take your time. I'm fine. It's not actually life or death. What am I? It's poop, right? Like, it's not that big a deal, right? We don't have that conversation, right? For a lot of reasons. But one of which is he does not enjoy, he does not naturally lean towards delayed gratification. None of us do. None of us like it. And this is what C.S. Lewis, I think, unpacks really well in his, his writing, The God on the Docks. He says this, this beautiful quote. He says, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. In other words, he's saying this, I, and I fully agree with this. I, I don't believe that those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, right? We would call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers, followers of Jesus Christ. I think, generally speaking, we don't consciously say, I don't think God knows what's best. I don't think we do that. I really don't. 
I don't think we consciously decide, you know, I, maybe God just isn't really that, that wise, right? Like, I don't think God really knows what's best. I, I don't think we do that. But I think instead, we wonder and we struggle with the pain that we feel now that's necessary to lead us to the future where we want to be, right? Because we, as people, we just naturally value now more than later. We're short-sighted. And so when we encounter this truth of like, yeah, following the Lord is the best. I mean, his will is the best. It's, it's, it's the greatest life. We run into pain. Momentary loss, momentary suffering, momentary... And, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult and it can blind us to the truth. Right? Why? Because we always value now more than later. We don't always make the best decisions, right? Why? Because we think, well, right now it's, it would be so cool if I just cased myself in cardboard. And we don't think about, oh, later I'm going to collapse into a kitchen trash pile? I don't know, their house is gross. But we don't think about the effects of our current decisions. Why? Because we're valuing now over later. We don't want to experience the current disappointment of missing out on that person, missing out on that relationship, missing out on that grade, missing out on that whatever experience. And so we say, man, I'm going to value this, and yet it, in the future it leads us into a place we don't want to be. Sometimes what we find, God's wisdom tells us that the best future sometimes might require present pain. That's what we talked about in the last series, about how many times we have to sacrifice, we have to accept current, or current limitations that guarantee future freedom. Right, it's for the sake of that future payoff. And, and following after the Lord sometimes works just like that. And, and this is something that we'll cover more next week. But, but this is one of those moments, this is that truth, this is that principle that's so much easier to apply when you have other people speaking into your life. This is one of the biggest reasons it's so important to seek out wisdom from others, of people that are either a few steps removed or are a few steps ahead of you. Because those people, if you're willing to listen and trust them, they many times help us see the fuller picture, the larger picture. They, they unnarrow our focus where we can put on these blinders and we think, well, gosh, if I don't date this guy, will I, do men live outside of College Station? I don't know. Like, is that, do they exist? Probably not. We can become so narrow in our focus that we lose sight of what's true. We need other people to speak that life into us. Right? We, we walk through that over and over again. So many times, I know a lot of us, we were reaching the end of junior high or high school, and we were like, oh my gosh, like the, all the world is about whether or not I can get first chair of this cello, or I don't know. And at some point, we had to get to come to the realization, oh, okay, that doesn't matter. First chair violin does, right? But that, that's, that's just one of those truths that we have to accept. You know what? There are times where our focus is narrowed. We need other people to help us see that truth. And if we're willing to dedicate ourselves to God's commands, here's what's beautiful. In that dedication, in that daily commitment, this is what happens. This is what Paul lays out in verse 2. He says, if you're willing to sacrifice, to become the sacrifice, this is what happens in verse 2. 
You won't be conformed to this present world. He says, right, as you're being a sacrifice, do not conform. He's using this passive voice saying you don't allow yourself to be transformed. It's not that you're consciously choosing it, but you're just sort of passive. You're allowing it to happen. Don't let that happen. Why? Because instead, you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, what is well-pleasing, what is perfect. He says this is what happens. If you're willing to dedicate yourself to God's direction, he will provide discernment. He will give you wisdom. As you're building that muscle, you train yourself to actually make great decisions so that even in those moments where you don't hear a voice on high, it's like Mary Stephen. Like, oh, really? He doesn't, I don't know. I'm not going to go there. But that's, be an accountant, right? Maybe you're not going to hear that. If you talk to my dad, you will, because he is that. But maybe you don't hear, move to Dallas, But God, in his beautiful, wonderful guidance of our lives, he allows us to make those kinds of decisions. And we are better prepared to make those decisions if we are dedicated to following his will in the day-to-day, in the revealed things, and it builds within us this ability to discern. It's what Paul describes. He says it's, it's that you can test and approve. Literally, in the Greek, he's saying you can verify these decisions. And he goes through three metrics. He says whether it is just good whether it's just an essentially good idea, whether it's pleasing to God, whether God would look upon that and be like, yeah, that's awesome. Whether it's perfect, meaning it's the best choice available. We are better prepared to make that decision if we're dedicated to following after the Lord in the day-to-day, in his revealed wills, right? Suddenly we can become, we have opportunity to not just be people who live by Christ, but to be people who are led by Christ, Jesus Christ came not just to be our Savior, but also to be our shepherd. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to instruct us. Paul says, man, we can lean into that if we're willing to sacrifice some of our freedom to say, you know what, God, it's your will be done. And as we do that on a daily basis, it transforms us and it becomes easier and easier and easier over time because you're being transformed into this new person. You're able to choose better routes when you look ahead. It's the same thing that happens when you moved here to town, right? You came in from all over, probably Dallas or Houston, let's be honest. But you came here, and you started living in Bryan College Station, and you've been learning, you've been, tra- you've been getting transformed into a local resident. That's just happening. And what's happening is that as you're being transformed into a resident of Brian Cause Station, you are learning how to navigate this little world. And you know, okay, hey, if it's a game day, after the football game, I'm not going to drive on George Bush. Right? You just know that, right? You're, you're, you're gaining wisdom. You know, hey, I'm not going to drive on Welburn, ever. Because <laughs> it's the lost Oh, the oh, it's just the worst. I'm just not going to drive there, right? You're going to make that conscious decision. You say, I will loop around Brenham and I will come in the other side. <laughs> because you're being transformed. You're immersed in this local culture, in this context, and you're gaining wisdom through that transformation. Paul's saying, look, as you dedicate yourself to God's following, he's going to prepare you. He's going to give you discernment to make these wise decisions. And so when you have this freedom that he offers from time to time to time, we'll talk about this way more in two weeks. But he, he has these moments where he puts Adam in the garden. He says, hey, I want you to name animals. Just go for it. Just so much freedom. 
We're going to unpack a, a, a passage from 1 Corinthians where, where Paul is speaking to believers. He says, hey, you know what? You're not married. Like your, your husband dies, marry somebody if you want. You don't have to. It's freedom. He says, look, there are going to be moments where God gives us this beautiful freedom where he doesn't dictate every single choice that we make because he wants us to make wise decisions. And yet I think we're held back from this, right? One of the barriers, the hurdles that we experience in really accepting and embracing this truth is that we still instinctively put our will first. That's what we want. That's just always our natural bent. And so even as I say, like, man, you're, you're following after the Lord, you're going to be prepared to make decisions, you might be thinking, I still struggle. Or, or no, I, I made these decisions and I, I regret them. They were wrong. I'll tell you, it, it's because many times we without even consciously choosing it, we will put our will first, even over the Lord's. James impacts it like this in a letter to believers. He says, you don't ask, or sometimes you don't have because you don't ask, right? He's telling them, look, you should be coming to the Lord with your needs, whether it's for direction, whether it's for resources, finances, whatever. He says, you should be asking the Lord for what you need. He says, because sometimes you don't have the thing you need because you don't ask for it. He says, but then other times you do ask, but you still don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. You're asking so you can spend it on your passions. In other words, he's saying, you're actually coming to the Lord with your preset agenda, and you're saying, God, I want you to sort of affirm my will. It's not your will be done, it's my will be done, and can you come on board with that, please? Right? We come to the Lord and we say, yeah, God, do I go to Houston or Dallas? And maybe Jesus shows up, he pops up in your car that afternoon, in the passenger seat, he's like, hey, actually, you need to go to Tulsa. One person would go, <laughs> very enthusiastically. The rest of us, what would we actually say, you know, if we were really honest? Many times, I feel like I sit down with students, and I see this happening, this play out, where we are coming before the Lord, we're saying, God, do you want me to go to this place, you know, to Houston or Dallas? Maybe Austin, because I'm feeling a little crazy, you know, like, where, where do you want me? And, and we're not actually asking, God, just where do you want me to go? Like, God, what's, what's your place for me? Do I marry this person like this year or do I marry them next year? And we're not open to actually just breaking up. And I've seen time and time again where people will, they, they come in with this preset agenda and motive. They're asking wrongly. And so, yeah, it shouldn't be a surprise that things don't turn out the way they want them to because our instincts so often can be so wrong. <laughs> Where's Max? Max! Oh my god! <laughs> if there's anything we learn today, Max makes wrong decisions, right? His instincts are flawed. But this is the truth that we find in Scripture. That every single one of us, Paul himself, right? This guy that God used to plant churches, to write letters, to the Holy Spirit inspired him to write scripture, the very words of God. Paul himself says, man, I find myself tempted to follow the old self, the old man. I'm tempted to follow my own previous instincts that are so very wrong. Max, come on, dude. And when that happens, it leads us into places we don't want to be. Because if we're following our will, it means inevitably we will be wrong because we don't know what's best. Our heart is not always the true compass north. And we see this. Man, our hearts are unreliable. Our feelings are fickle. Our views can be misinformed. 
And so when we come to decisions, what we find in Scripture is this admonishment, this, this encouragement. Man, you should be coming before the Lord and asking Him, what's His view? What's His will for your next step? And if we're doing that on a daily basis in just the little things of how do I treat my roommate? How, how do I pursue someone on dating? How, how, do I, how, how do I conduct myself in business? Should I be honest in my classwork? Should I be forgiving of people that wrong me? If, I, if I'm choosing, deciding to follow God's super clear revealed word in all of these aspects, my instincts can change. And through this process of transformation, suddenly God gives me discernment and he works in me, not just in how I follow his will, but his direction, but also my will to, my desire God will give me the desire that I need to follow his direction. But it's only if I'm dedicating myself, I've got to commit first. I've got to consciously decide my, my reasonable action. I've got to say, okay, I, I want to choose to put God first. Because his way is best. James says, look, as he's wrapping up this, this encouragement about prayer and, and, and motives, he says, man, some of you guys, you're, you're talking about how today or tomorrow we're going to go into this or that town, spend a year there, do business, make a profit. He says, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know about tomorrow. You don't know what the future holds. What's your life like? You're like a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. He's like, your perspective is so limited. It says, instead, when you're looking ahead at life, you should make plans for sure. Don't just be blown about by the wind. But when you do it, you need to keep in mind that it's all based on the Lord's will. If the Lord is willing, then we will live. Then we'll do that. Then we'll do this. It says, you need to make sure you're putting the Lord's will first. And putting his will first, I mean, it's just better. Why? Because his plan is always best. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what we've been proven through Jesus Christ. That's why you start with what do you believe about Jesus? Because if you really believe that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserve, to be raised again, to promise you, to guarantee for you a life beyond death, if that's what you believe, then what's so incredible is that suddenly our lives have a beautiful guarantee. We have this foundation that we rest on, that we fall back on. And in those moments, in those storms, in those trials, in those sufferings, when I'm tempted to think, man, does God know best best me? And should I trust him? Should I, should I go this direction? I mean, I know he tells me to like love my enemies. I know he tells me to forgive people around me. I, mean, I know he tells me to sacrifice my life for the sake of other people. In those moments of struggle, when I'm, when I'm tempted to doubt whether or not it's worth it to walk God's path, what I can do is I can be reminded of the gospel. I can be reminded of the fact that God's plan included saving me from absolute death. That when I was still a sinner, when I was still neck deep in my trespasses, when I was still an enemy of God, when I was still a child of wrath, that's when Jesus Christ came and saved me. Because God loved me too much to leave me alone. And when I see that that was his plan for all of eternity, when I see that that's the, the will that he has, when I see that that's the heartbeat that he maintains in heaven, suddenly I should feel motivated and encouraged and inspired to trust his plan in the day to day. How could I not? How can I not trust the God who saved me from eternal destruction simply by his grace, simply because he decided to pour out mercy completely undeserved upon me and you?
How can I not trust him? His plan is best. His way is better. And and I think we're all on board with this in so many ways. We're here this morning. Why? Because on some level, we're saying, you know what? I believe that God is worth it. Some of us maybe are asking that question. Some are saying, I want to determine whether or not he's worth it. Others of us, we say, yeah, he is. And so I'm going to give some of my time on my week. I'm going to show up to sing songs about him, to him. I'm going to learn from him. And that's awesome. And yet we still find ourselves in these kind of day-to-day moments struggling. I still find myself struggling. When I'm tempted, man, I'm, I'm frustrated, so I want to raise my voice. Or man, I'm, I'm irritated, so I'm just going to kind of shut down. Or I'm going to, I'm going to like not treat that person the way that I want to be treated. I'm going to you know, skirt this corner. I'm going to take this shortcut. Man, we still have this tension. We still have this struggle. And so we, that's why Paul is encouraging in the Romans 12. It's a daily decision. I'm going to follow God's will above my own. That's why we have moments like Sundays, to kind of realign us with that truth, with that, that encouragement. That's why we have beautiful things like baptism, where we come together. For, for Anderson College, I mean, we do it once a semester. We did it in May, we're doing, or we did it in December. We're doing it again this May. And, and it's an opportunity. It's my favorite Sunday because we come together and we just hear about how God has worked in, every, in all these different students' lives. And they're coming forward to publicly, symbolically align themselves with God's will. And they're not doing it because it somehow secures their place with God, doesn't make God love them more. It's, it's simply a way to represent to their community, hey, this is where I am. This is what God has done. This is who I am in Christ. I mean, I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, uh, it's coming up. We're doing it in like, I don't know, five or six weeks, something like that. And you can go through this link. You can fill out just a quick little questionnaire. We'll follow up with you. But I would encourage you, if you haven't taken that step of publicly saying, man, I want to align myself with Jesus Christ, man, join us as we do that. Because, man, every single one of us, we, we need to wrestle with this question of what do we believe about Jesus every single day. And some of us are at different stages of our answer to that. Some of us are at different stages of, of, of how long or how much or how difficultly we struggle with it. But we all need to ask the Lord to I mean, guide us, not only in, in holding on or maybe gaining that belief or holding on to that belief, but in making those daily decisions. So if you would, let's, let's pray to God and let's ask him to kind of show us maybe what our next step might be. God, we, we thank you that you have shown us so much truth. God, you've given us all these principles in your word that direct us, that guide our paths. Your, your word is it's, it's a lamp to our feet, God, it's a light to our path, Lord. It allows us to see with better clarity the next steps that we can take. God, it helps us make better decisions because ultimately, God, it should be helping us make decisions that are in line with your will and your heart and your direction. And God, some of us right now, I, I know we are, we are struggling with that very first decision we talked about of having to make a choice of what do we decide to say, what do we decide to believe about Jesus Christ? And I know that, man, some of us, we're, we're wrestling with that. And maybe we heard those, those lyrics of the very first song about God's relentless love that chases us down and, and, and knocks down walls and, and comes after us. And man, maybe some of us, we're feeling that. We're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. 
or we've been having conversations or we've been just kind of getting this gut instinct or maybe someone gave us a book to read or, or a, a Bible passage to study. And maybe, maybe some of us are walking into this moment right now and we know, man, God is, is, is coming after me. And some of us, we're hitting this moment. We're saying, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to make my decision. I'm ready to choose to believe, to call in the name of Jesus Christ. To believe in who he is and what he's done. I mean, I would encourage you, if that's you, our, our heads are still down, our eyes are still closed, but, but I would love to pray with you and I have staff who would love to pray for you. So if you would be willing, in this moment, if you would be willing to raise your hand just so I know where you are, just so I know what you're, this point that you've reached, this crossroads you're at, I would love to pray with you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. And, and I would encourage you to pray with me. That God, we recognize that we are broken. That God, we make mistakes. That Lord, that we, we cause pain and hurt in, in others' lives, in our lives. Lord, we, we make wrong decisions all the time. God, we, we're broken. And yet, God, we now see that you sent Jesus Christ to heal what was broken, God, to, to bring to life what was dead. Lord, to reconcile what was divided. So God, we ask that, that you would forgive us through the work of Jesus Christ, through our trust in him, that's by your grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ, that we can know you in splendor and glory for all of eternity. And I'd encourage you, man, if, the, if that was you, if you just prayed that alongside of me, that was that was the greatest decision you've ever made. For the rest of us, we are struggling in making that next decision. We're looking ahead and, and we're wrestling with a topic or an issue. And I would encourage you just to take this moment right now and to ask the Lord to really convict you about whose will you're following first, about whose direction you're really desiring to follow. Ask him to show you, I mean, where is it that you are actually kind of disregarding maybe his, his wisdom and his direction? And then ask him to give you the strength, the motivation, maybe the support from other people to get back on the right track, to move forward in what is revealed to be true, what's revealed to be his word, his will. Ask him for that clarity and direction right now.